This week starts not only our new church year, but a new series that we're going to be looking at called One Another. One Another. Back in January, we, we looked at what the mission of the church is. That the mission of the church is to make disciples. That we should be all about the mission. That if we're not about the mission, we might as well just change our sign to say country club instead of Baptist church. Because that is what we become if we are inward focused and not outward focused. But now the question is not what should we do? But the question is who should we be? In other words, it's an identity question. If we are a a church, God has redeemed people to Himself, we get the fact that we're to be on mission, but we also need to understand who we are as a church. And throughout the New Testament, we see that. We see the fact that we're not just saved as individuals, but we're saved into a community of faith. In America... It's really not that way, is it? In America, we think a lot of times that we can be saved, that we can become a Christian apart from the local church. But in the New Testament, we see that when God saves us, He saves us into the local church. We see that church is important because it's not just something that we go to once a week, but it's something that we are. It's something that we are. One another, that phrase one another, is used all throughout the New Testament. It's used a hundred times in total. But 47 of those times that the writer uses the word one another, 47 of the times he is giving instruction to the church on how they should live together. A third of those have to do with love. Jesus Himself said it, and that's what we're looking at this morning. Some of those deal a lot deal with love, some deal with unity, some deal with humility, some deal with other things. There's four times in the New Testament where it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. That's going to be, that's going to be a very interesting sermon, by the way. Just kidding. Man, y'all need to lighten up this morning. Y'all are looking so serious, man. Four times, greet one another with a holy kiss. So four times you see kissing in the New Testament commanded for one another. Here's the reason why so, all this is so serious. The way that we live in the community of faith, the way that we do church, the way that we live as a body of Christ together reflects Jesus to the outside world. And hopefully this series will give us a look at what God has called us to be as a church. Hopefully it will give us instruction from the New Testament, from God's Word, what it means that we should be doing together. What should we be doing together? And this morning we're looking at probably the most prominent one another passage. Straight from Jesus' mouth to love one another. Now, if you're a note taker, you probably have this underlined in your Bible. We looked at this passage a few months ago on Sunday night. 
But this passage carries so much meaning to love one another that we needed to start here. The main thing that we're going to see this morning is that we should love each other because of how Jesus loves us. Join with me as we read John chapter 15. If you would please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Starting in verse 12, this, he says, is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Listen to what he says, you are my friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my father my ask the father in my name he may give to you these things i command to you so that you would love one another father i pray this morning as we begin this journey to see who we are supposed to be as a church how we're supposed to live out our faith together as a church that we would see first and foremost that you've commanded us to love each other and father i pray that as we look at how You love us, that we would not be able to help but think of ways that we should love each other. Not just in the big things, Lord, but help us to love each other in the little things. Lord, transform us into what You would have us to be. In Jesus' name, Amen. We must love each other because of how Jesus loves us. The first thing that he says there is we must love each other. Notice what he says in verse 12, that he gives a commandment that you love one another. Who is he telling us to love? One another. Each other. The folks in the church. Now listen, we're supposed to love everybody, okay? But Jesus is especially honing in on the fact that in the body of Christ, we should definitely love each other. You should go into the body of Christ and see love flowing out of the people. This isn't the first time that Jesus has said this. Earlier in chapter 13 of John, He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And look at verse 35 there. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Folks, this is how people realize that, hey, this is the church. Is they look at our love for each other. They look at us as a family and when they see those friendly and familial binds together, they say, that must be the church. That must be the church. But a question as we look at that, as He tells us to love one another, how are we supposed to do that? What are we supposed to do? I mean, that sounds great, love one another, but practically, like, what do you do? 
How are you supposed to serve one another? How are you supposed to love each other? And notice what he says next. He says, love one another at the end of verse 12, as I have loved you. As I have loved you. I want you to see there, we're supposed to love each other just like Christ loves us. And in in the next verse, we see two ways that Christ loves us. He loves us, first of all, as friends. Look at the end of verse 13. He says, Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his enemy. No, he didn't say that. For his friends. Jesus loves us as a friend. He loves us as a friend. Aristotle said that friends basically means two souls living in, or one soul living in two bodies. The idea of a close friendship, the idea of, hey, this is somebody that you became friends with, you became close to, and it's basically like it is the same person living in two people. Jesus has called us friend. But notice that He says, not only that He calls us friends, but He's sacrificing for us. And you see that earlier in verse 13. Greater love is no one than this, that He would what? Lay down His life. When we think about how Jesus loves us, we immediately have to go to the cross. We immediately have to say that He laid down His life in our place so that we might live. Church, that's how we're to love each other. As friends, but more importantly, laying down our lives for each other. Making sacrifices for each other. You know, when I look at this, sometimes as I go through life, and many of you may be the same way, I often wonder the question, how do we know that God loves us? I mean, do y'all ever have those days? you ever have those days where you wake up, or maybe you're going through your day and you're just like, all this is happening, does God even love me? And now, we may not think it at the forefront of our minds, but we're thinking it on the back burner, or maybe as we're thinking it with how we're living our lives that day, but that, that constant question of, does God really even love me? Because I'm not feeling it today. And I, I want to point out, what we see in this verse is the fact that Jesus does love us. Notice, He's talking about the greatest kind of love. He says there is no greater type of love than one that will lay down its life for another. And that's what Jesus did for us. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 says it a different way. He says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God, listen to this. I mean, if you could write one verse down, this would be it. God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Apostle Paul saying, hey, come in here real close. Let me tell you how God loves you. While you were still a sinner, God sent Jesus to die on your behalf. While you still didn't have it all together, 
He died for you. So when I wake up in the mornings and I just feel like I'm falling apart, when you feel like you're falling apart and you feel like I just don't know how is it that God loves me, I've, I've just made too big of a mistake. Notice what it says, that He loves us and the proof of it is what Jesus did for us. We don't have to look any further than the cross of Christ and we see that God loves us. And even, listen to this, even when our feelings tell us that He doesn't. Even when we feel in our heart that God does not love us, that He's abandoned us, that's when we turn with our minds and say, heart, listen, God loves me and here's the proof. There's a proof of it even when we don't feel it. Even when we don't feel it. If you're here this morning and you're a guest, it's your first time, or maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, let me just say this is great news. I mean, in, in John 15 where we're looking, verse 13, there you have the heart of God's love for you. There you see it, that God loves you. And I don't know what kind of baggage you came in here with. I don't know what kind of life you come from, but God loves you. You may have been running from Him your entire life. He loves you. You may have think that you have gone too far, done the wrong things. He loves you. And the Scripture teaches that we were born as sinners, enemies of God. That we were born rebellious against God. And even still, God loved us and sent His Son to save us. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, for you, the best news in all of the world is despite how far you are that Jesus lived the life that you should have lived, He died the death that you deserve, and no matter how far you are from God, you can come near to God by clinging to Jesus. You can come near to Him, repenting of your sins and holding fast to Him, and He will have you. No one who has ever come to Christ has been turned away. No one who has ever come to Christ repenting and trying to cling to Him has He ever said, I, I can't save you, you're too far gone. We are loved. We see what true love is. Christian, if you're here today and you're a Christian, Christ is commanding us to live with that very same sacrificial love to one another. When you look at the community of faith, when you look at what God is doing, who we are, first of all, we should be people who love each other sacrificially. Now, I realize that we probably will never be called upon to give up our lives for one another. I realize that we will probably never have to sacrifice ourselves and give up our life and die for somebody else in the body. But here's a question. Even though we don't have to lay down our lives, are we going to lay down our preferences? Are we going to lay down our desires? Are we going to lay down our feelings? Are we going to lay down all of these things? Like You may say, well, I, I know I'm not going to ever have to give my life, but are you going to give up the other things as well? Are you going to be the kind of person that says that, you know, I, I'm going to lay down my feelings on that and let them have their way? I'm going to lay down my preferences about how I think that things ought to be done so that somebody else might have their way. That church is part of sacrificially loving each other. Sacrificial love, hey, it makes sacrifices. It does things 
even when you don't feel like doing them. But not only do we love each other sacrificially, I've got a question, like how does our love look throughout the week? If we're called to, to love each other like this, how is it that we call ourselves loving to one another when we just see each other once a week? I mean, how is it that we fulfill this command of Jesus when we see each other for about five minutes before church begins and that's it? If we're really going to take this command seriously, if we're really going to love each other the way that He calls us to, that means that we have to have a relationship outside of this place throughout the week. That means that we should be loving each other throughout the week. It means that we should be loving outside of these walls. And finally, church, it means that if we looked at our sacrifices for each other, if we looked at the way that we love each other, I wonder if that would speak truth or lies about Jesus. I want you to let that sink in. If you looked at how we love each other, is that speaking truth or is that speaking lies about Jesus? We're speaking something. But what are we telling the world? What are we telling the world by the way we love each other? He tells us that we are to love one another. And the second thing he says is because of how Jesus loves us. Because of how Jesus loves us. Jesus didn't tell us exactly how we should love each other. He didn't spell it out for us. I wish that he would. Wouldn't that be great if he would have just said, you need to love each other and you need to do this and this and this. I'm a list person. I like that. I would like to just check the box and say, I have loved people today. But instead of giving us a specific example, notice what He does. He gives us an example. He gives Himself as a model for how we should love each other. Look at what He says next in the, in the next verse, verse 14. He says who He loves. He says, you are my friends. He says there's no greater love than to give your life for your friends. And then he turns to his followers and says, you're my friends. We are the objects of his love. He has given his life for us. And notice once again that Christ points out that his people are the ones who obey him. Notice what it says there in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you to do. If you obey. Now, I, I just want to point out that that does not mean, when we first look at that, you may think, well, gosh, he's saying that we need to obey him to be his friends. And I want to point out that that's not how the verse is written, is it? Notice that Jesus does not say, if you do what I command you, then you are my friends. But notice, it, it's not that way, it's, we are His friends, therefore, flowing out of that, we obey Him. Another way to put it is, you are my friends, assuming that you do. Jesus assumed that because His followers were His friends, that they would obey Him. He loves us, and He assumes that we will obey And what we see there is that He loves us unconditionally. You are my friends. 
You are my friends. That's great news, church. That's great news. Even at our worst, we're His friends. Even when we're struggling to obey, we're His friends. Even when we don't hold all the pieces together, we're His friends. And we can go to Him for help. Notice the second thing He says is this is not a distant love, but it is a close love that He has for us. He starts to talk about a servant versus a friend. He says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus is saying that a friend knows what a friend is doing. A master may not know. And Jesus, Jesus is saying here, I have let you in on the plan. Jesus is saying, I have not held anything back. All that God has told me, I have told you. That's the kind of love that He has. He's not have some secret plan where He's pulling all the strings and we're just kind of left in the dark. He's telling us what His mission is. He's telling us all that God is, all of who God is, and all of what God is doing on His mission. You know, when I think about that, I think about the difference between a job and the difference between a group of friends getting together. Okay, so in a job, I worked at a company before coming here that, you know, it was always, all the decisions were made by senior management. And then they would kind of hand down to us what they wanted us to do. But they wouldn't tell us any of the other plan, would they? They wouldn't tell us about the mission. They would just tell us, this is what I want you to do. Is it that way when a group of friends gets together? For instance, if a group of friends gets together and they're making plans, we're going to go eat here. Everybody gets a say, don't they? Now, sometimes that's a bad thing. Sometimes you got a group of friends going out somewhere and you're like, well, where do you want to go to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go? And you just go in circles. But when you have a group of friends, when you have a group of friends together, whether they're making plans, whether it's a couple of guys working on a car, they know what's going on. It's not like, I've got all the chips in my hand. I've got the cards and I'm holding them up. And let me just tell you what you're going to do. No. We are equals coming together for a mission. And that is exactly what Jesus calls us. He says, you are in on the mission. And I realize we're not equals with Him, certainly. But He has included us on His mission. The next thing that He says is that we are chosen by Christ. We are chosen by Christ. Notice what he says. He says in verse 18, or sorry, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. What is he saying here? I don't think that he's saying that we don't make choices. Okay, and I don't think that he's saying that his disciples were being dragged kicking and screaming. I think what Jesus is emphasizing here is He's emphasizing the fact that when it comes to His relationship with His people, He's the one that takes the initiative. He's the one that takes the initiative and He's the one that does the pursuing. 
doesn't negate the fact that I made a decision when I followed Christ, but I have to realize, but Christ has been pursuing me long before I made that decision. We are chosen in Christ, he says. Now, why is that important? Why does he even bring that up here? I think he brings that up because that's part of love, right? They always say that you can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends. So your family, you're kind of stuck with, right? Your brothers and sisters, your parents, you're stuck with them. Whether you like it or not, they're your family. But what I found is with your friends, you get to pick those, don't you? You get to choose who is going to be in your life. And that's what makes friendship so special, is you get to choose who's going to be in your life. There's a choice happens. It's not just something that just happens by default. And notice Jesus is saying that we are chosen by Him. He's telling us of the special love that He has for us. That He has pursued us. He's taken the initiative with us. And our love for each other needs to be that same kind of love. It needs to be an initiative-taking love. It needs to be a pursuing love. That means, church, when somebody wrongs you, when somebody in the church does something that you don't like, that doesn't mean that, well, I'm just, I didn't do it. I'm going to sit back here and they can come apologize to me. But rather, that's a pursuing love. Thank God that Jesus does not do that to me. Thank God that He doesn't do it to you. What kind of mess would we be in if God just sat there and said, I'm not going to pursue anymore. They're just, they messed it up and they can come to me when they're ready. Parents, how would you be with your children if you waited on your children to come to you to tell you that they've done wrong? No, you go to them. You discipline them. And we should pursue each other even when we have been wronged. Notice what he says after that. He has chosen us that we may bear lasting fruit. You did not choose me, he says, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Jesus is saying that he pursues us He doesn't just do it to no end. He does it to the end that we bear fruit. He does it so that we will bear fruit in our lives, so that we will be transformed. And as we're transformed, that helps our prayer life. As we're transformed, we pray better. As we're transformed, as we bear fruit, we know what to ask God for. How should we love each other? Practically speaking, well, the text doesn't say, does it? And I think Jesus doesn't say because He knows there's people out there like me and maybe like you that we would rather check a box to say that we've loved each other without actually asking the question if we really are loving each other. Maybe a better question is, instead of how do we love each other, is how do we reflect the way that Jesus loves us? How do we reflect the way that Jesus loves us? Well, first of all, we should serve each other. Jesus served us. We should not disparage or gossip about one another. 
Jesus did not do that to us. We should give the benefit of the doubt to each other because Jesus does that for us. We should spend time with each other because Jesus spends time with us. We should have each other in our homes. A community of faith should be one not where there's different cliques in the church, not where you have different groups and different families, but it should be one where you regularly see people crossing over the family line and having people over at their house. The church should be a place where we pursue relationships with each other and not just in our cliques. I just think how, how anti-gospel is it if, if a church has cliques? How much does that lie about Jesus' love if we say we're one body in Christ, but I've got my clique over here that I like, and I don't really like those over here. I'm just going to hang out with my guys over here. We are together. We are pursuing each other. He tells us that we must love each other. He laid down everything for us. We're to love each other because of how Jesus loves us. He calls us friends. As we think about responding to God's Word this morning, if you're a Christian here this morning, I think there are several things that we should do to respond. First of all, we should worship Him because of His love. We don't just look at His love and say, well, let me go on about my day. We look at His love and say, Lord, I am Yours. But I think also, a way that we ought to respond is we should mend broken relationships. I mean, in a church like this, there's going to be broken relationships. There's going to be people that you're like, I don't speak to that person. I have been wronged by that person. One way that you apply what Jesus has said to your life this morning is you go to that person and you fix it. Even if you were the one who was wronged. Even if you were the one whose feelings were hurt, you go to the other person and you seek restoration. Another way that we respond is we put our preferences aside and we choose to love each other. Even when we don't agree on some of the most basic things about what we should be doing or when we don't agree on some of these things that don't really matter, we put it aside and say, but I'm going to choose to love. Finally, I think that we should pursue relationships with each other during the week because how can we say we love each other when we see each other for an hour every week and that's it? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, for you, responding to this would be very simply responding to God's love. It would be responding to His love, realizing how much that He loves you, realizing all that He has done for you, and then responding to Him by surrendering. Responding to Him by repenting of your sins and clinging to Christ. As we pray and as we sing our song of response, would you respond to God's Word today? In Jesus, Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You, Lord, for how You love us. We thank You, Lord, that when it comes to how we are to act as a church, how we're to live our lives as a church, You have given the answer to us. Your greatest commandment to love each other. In fact, Lord, the greatest law that You've given to Your people is to love You 
and then to love neighbor. God, what a shame it would be for there not to be love here and to hinder the work that You're doing. Lord, what a shame it would be for us to go from this place harboring bitterness. To go from this place choosing not to love each other. To go from this place choosing not to sacrifice for each other. And to tell lies to the world about the way that you love. Lord, I pray that as we have a, a lost parish looking in and a lost world looking in, Lord, I pray that no one would be hindered from coming to Christ because of the way that we act as Christians. So Lord, help us to love each other. In Jesus' name, Amen.